0: Well, good morning. Okay, I'll get set up here. Please stand by. It's not that I'm fussy or anything, but i got to have it just right. Okay, so I just want to give, I want to begin by giving my amen to what Josh shared earlier. Uh, Just thank those who came, uh, especially yesterday. We had some that came Friday night, but yesterday in particular came and support Jesse during the funeral that we had. It's just a tangible way to support those who are grieving. It means a lot, but it also honors the one who... Who passed away, and you show that the you show the family that the person was special, that they will be missed, and all of this, of course, brings comfort. Uh, you know, most of us have been there, and a number from our church did that yesterday, and it was just a real blessing to see. Indeed, it was a it really was a rich time together, and I know that Jesse appreciated it. And um, while we're at it, I just want to take a moment to thank everyone who helped out, who helped in the kitchen, and who brought food, who set things up, and cleaned things up, and. Grateful for the musicians and Steve who ran the sound booth. I mean, just a lot of people were involved. Denny for clearing the parking lot and um, for people who took trash home because our dumpster's full and all sorts of stuff. And Rose's family noticed and it meant a lot to them. So, again, just thank you for that. All right, well, last Sunday we worked through that rich passage in Ephesians 4 that deals with God's. And I'll call it fascinating design of how each of us in the context of a church family contributes to the discipleship and edification of all the other members. God has divinely enabled each of us for a particular place of service so that we can together then uh, build one another up in love. And this is what he designed for our growth and maturity. Uh, It's a a large part of our becoming more like him involves the input from and interaction with fellow believers in a local church family. Now, we're not going to take time this morning to review all that all that we covered uh, there in verses 1 through 15, but um, if you missed it, I would simply encourage you to go back and catch it on our website or YouTube. For today, we're going to finish up with verse 16, so you can go ahead and turn there if you'd like. And then as noticed last Sunday... Um, and then as noted last Sunday, we're going to turn our attention to that of applying the principles from this section that we've been working through. And because um, of our congregational meeting this morning, I need to kind of condense things quite a bit, but hopefully that won't compromise the content too much. So Ephesians 4, um, we'll just take a quick look here at verse 7. Uh, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is a very significant verse here. And as we saw last Sunday, this grace is, according to the context, referring to members being divinely enabled to serve others in the church and to serve the church as a whole. Each person has a function, a ministry, a place of service. And then kind of jumping down to verse 12 and 13, and this deals with the objective or the goal of an every member ministry. So that the body of Christ may be built up, edified, until we all reach unity in the faith and unity in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. That's the objective. All right. And now for verses 15 and 16, which are closely related, so we will read them together. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So here, Paul basically brings together several prominent ideas from the whole section, beginning back with verse one, actually, unity and diversity in the body, spiritual growth and maturity, and of course, mutual edification. Verse 16 captures the main gist of Paul's overall point and serves as a summary statement for the section. As he does in some of his other letters, Paul here uses the picture of a human body to illustrate this principle of how all the individual members of the church family are to serve each other. We are all familiar with this, Um, so we could use illustrations like, you know, the hands feed the body food which the mouth chews and the stomach digests, all of which contributes to the nourishment of every other part. The ears detect the snarl of a grizzly bear, and so the legs run away from that danger. Thus, the whole body is protected from harm. The foot trips and starts to stumble, but the arms swirl about, you know, to keep the body in balance, safeguarding various members from the injury of a nasty fall. You know, these pictures of all the parts working together help one another out, so on. The illustration of how the different parts of a body, all with different abilities and functions, work together for the good of the whole is is quite effective, and it's one of the reasons that Paul uses it so often in a number of his letters. But here, in Ephesians 4, the imagery is more about how the body grows together as a unit in contrast to the idea that each of the individual parts grow independently of the others. Which is a concept that probably many Christians haven't really thought that much about. The analogy is simple enough: a finger doesn't grow independently of the hand or of the wrist or of the arm. Teeth don't grow independently of the mouth or the head. A brain doesn't grow, uh, doesn't you know, grow independently of the skull that encases it or of the skin that covers that skull. Fortunately, God designed all the individual parts of a human body to grow in unison, to grow together. And what a mess things would be if it didn't. And it is how God designed it for the church. And it is not how God designed it for the church either, of everyone just doing their own thing apart from the others. It's just me and Jesus, as we like to say, you know, or to state it more accurately, apart from any concern of how the others are themselves growing and maturing. That's the issue. Certainly, we are to be concerned about our own sanctification, this process of being conformed into the image of God. But it doesn't stop there. We are to trouble ourselves with the sanctification of others as well, our fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that translates into exhorting and teaching and admonishing and encouraging others accordingly, thus Every member ministry. As Paul explains here, God's design is that all the individual parts and the whole body itself grows and matures together as a unit. We are not independent, disconnected, isolated pieces. We are parts of a whole connected to Christ and connected to each other. And again, as this chapter has taught us, each of us is called to contribute to the growth and maturity of others. We're not exempt from that. Look at the verses again. Note carefully what it says. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's what's being taught. It's very clear. Every word that is used here has been carefully chosen by Paul. Take the word supporting, held together by every supporting ligament. In the original language, the word actually means something like furnishing or suppling, and it was used in that day of someone who who provided the financial backing of some endeavor. The idea, of course, is to provide the support someone needs to carry out a specific task or to fulfill some objective. You know, the one with more resources helps the one with less resources to attain the objective. And the word is a perfect one for conveying this principle that all of us are to back each other, supplying and a furnishing what others among us need to grow and mature. And so yes, we each have a responsibility to mature in our faith as individuals, but this not just for ourselves. We gotta think beyond this. It must also be for the benefit and edification of others. The more mature, helping the less mature, Those with more knowledge and understanding, helping those with less. Those who are not going through a dark season, encouraging those who are. Those who have learned to resist certain temptations, helping those who sadly yield to those temptations. Those who are generous, teaching those who are less generous, and on and on and on. All of us are to be involved in this charge of discipling one another in the church family. Is that a picture that you can see, that you can you know, that you can relate to or visualize. Think again of those words from last week, truthing in love, you know, imparting and exhorting truth by speaking it and by setting examples of it for others to imitate. You know, the whole body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Again, every member ministry. And I would remind you again of all those one another verses scattered throughout the New Testament. Here are a few teach one another, you know, teach one another, counsel one another, edify one another, encourage one another, admonish one another, even spur one another on. John Calvin put it well, if we want to be considered members of Christ, let no man be anything for himself, but let us all be whatever we are for the benefit of each other. It's well stated. So from here, let's take a few minutes here to just consider application of of all of this that we've covered here in these 16 verses. How how do we make this work? What is helpful? What is not helpful? And I made a list, and I had just the hardest time organizing this thing, and um, what I thought could be dealt with in 15 or 20 minutes ended up turning into hours and hours, and so I scrapped most of what I had worked on and planned, and my computer just... Went to an update. Let's see if I can get that screen back. <laughs> oh, this is maddening. No, I do not want to update. I don't know where this went. Paper what? Paper yeah. Can somebody read a poem or something? To the, I, I don't, I, I cannot, I am well versed on this computer, but everything just disappeared. I don't want, I don't want computer people coming up here helping me. I do not, I, no, I'm not open to being edified in that way. Now, <laughs>
1: All
0: right, let's just let's just can we delete the last five minutes off the YouTube thing and just start back up here? All right. I'm sure, this remote works. I've even turned off the updates during this time. I don't know how this happened. Okay. So I made a list, had a hard time organizing. I thought what could be dealt with in 15, 20 minutes, it just ended up taking a long time. So I scrapped most of what I'd planned and decided to focus on just four areas. And all of these are actually pretty obvious, and they're the sorts of things that we've covered in the past. But um, again, reminders are helpful. And in this case, I believe that that these reminders are also timely. Um, The first one is pretty basic, but extremely important. And it's simply this, when the church family meets, come. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, when we are all together, the opportunity for you to benefit from all the others and for all the others to benefit from you isn't going to happen if you are missing. So just simple law of physics or some law like that. I mean, you know, we, we all miss for various reasons from time to time. We understand that. But here I'm talking about this thing becoming a habit. And unfortunately, there's a number of people here today who, have, who habitually miss that I wish would be here to hear this, but you know, habits become lifestyles and lifestyles become destinies. We know how that works. This whole principle that God does that, you know, this whole principle that God designed of a church family being an every member ministry here in Ephesians 4 is going to be really utterly meaningless if you have a habit of skipping. It's just not going to work. You know, well, something else came up better. Uh, again. I wasn't really in the mood again. I usually don't get anything out of it anyway. People aren't that friendly. I don't really fit in and on and on. You know, it just doesn't do anything for me like it once did. You know, all of these reasons, when you look at it, they reflect a philosophy of church that is literally light years away from what Paul lays out here in Ephesians 4 and dozens of other passages as well. Not just Paul, but also Peter and the author of Hebrews and others. You know How does one harmonize this skipping our time together on Sunday mornings, especially for such lame and selfish reasons, with these words in Hebrews 10? You know these words, but listen to them carefully. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. What a charge. Not giving up meeting together, because you have to meet together for that to happen. Unfortunately, some are in the habit of doing this, right or right. But let us instead be encouraging one another all the more as we see what approaching? The day. the day. The day. Because we have this future hope that should just energize us to be about this business. You know? So do these words apply to all of us or just to some of us? What makes certain Christians exempt from this? Ask yourself, what would the church look like if everyone else followed your example of attendance or involvement? Or lack of, I should say. And of course, under this heading of faithful attendance, it must be pointed out that along with the mutual edifications that take place on the informal level, which is what I've been emphasizing mostly here, you know, that we do with each other, there is also, very important, the formal and structured building others up through the various parts of the worship service, like. The sermons, and the songs, and the prayers, and the Christological readings, and the Lord's Supper, and so on, reports about other believers and their sufferings in um, other parts of the world, and so on. You know, th- this is the principles that's addressed back in Ephesians 4, through 13. So, for instance, for many months now, as you know, we've been together learning principles about the Pentateuch, learning them together as a church family. All this contributes to us being on the same page in our understanding of Scripture, which contributes to our unity and to our growth and maturity individually and as a whole. And if you miss some of those, then this is an example of something that others will have that you don't, which in turn compromises the objective of learning and growing and maturing together. So come. Number two, it's not enough to just show up. We also, of course, have to take initiative with others, which is kind of difficult for us because we tend to be an introverted group, you know, we need to push ourselves to interact with those that we don't know that well. Are there people here who have been attending for several months that you've not taken the trouble to meet, don't even know their names? How about those who have attended for years, Are there people you've not talked to, not know the names of? You know, how many on the left side of the church interact with those on the right side of the church, for example? Given how most of us can, how we mostly consist of introverts, it will fall upon the introverts to reach out to the other introverts, all right? Along that line, number three, we need to push ourselves and go beyond small talk, especially with those that you have established relationships with. You know, now small talk is great, all about that. Part of forming meaningful relationships involves conversations about daily life and common interests and complaining about politics and all that other stuff. But for these principles and effusions to have any true effect, we must also be willing to take those conversations to the next level. And I think we kind of need to be spurred on to do that. And, you know, what are you? Simple questions of interaction with others. What are you reading? What are you learning? What are you struggling with? How can I pray for you? What are you currently reading in the Bible? How is that affecting you? I mean, I get it. These sorts of things, they're kind of, you know, um, They tend to be a little quirky and unusual, but they should be natural for us. They should be. How is your marriage? How's that situation with Bob that we talked about the last time? In what can I rejoice with you? In what can I suffer with you? You asked me to hold you accountable about content on the internet. So is there anything there that we need to talk about? You get the idea. Drop the anchor deeper with each other. This This is no doubt what at least part of what James had in mind when he told us to confess our sins to one another, to go deeper. And fourthly, we got like four out of 150, but for today we'll stop at four. Actually, think of yourself as belonging to others. You know, we need to let that principle actually get into our DNA, into our bones, you know, as though we actually do belong to a community of faith. This isn't like. You know the the astronomy club where we just happen to share an interest and we come together and we leave and that's it. We're actually a community of faith. You know, belonging in the sense of Romans 12:4. These words are profound. He writes, "In Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others." That's striking. You know, when you walk into this room on Sunday mornings, look around at everybody and say to yourself, these are the people I belong to, and they belong to me. We are all one in Christ. Brothers, sisters, family. Suppress that, you know, that independent and individualistic spirit that has been ingrained in you since your earliest years. We all have it. You know, these are the people who served you by watching your young kids in the nursery so that you could benefit from the morning service. These are the people who brought you meals when one of your family members was in the hospital, who prayed for you during that hardship you went through a while back, who gave up a precious Saturday to help you move, who helped you recover after a loss, and grieved with you, wept with you when you suffered the passing of a loved one. I mean, look around. These are the people who, through their financial sacrifices, contributions, have provided you a comfortable facility to meet in, and utilities, and supplies, and salaries, and all that is needed to make this church possible. They gave freely so that others would benefit. These are the people who serve as musicians, and singers, and Sunday school teachers, and youth group sponsors for you and for your children. Volunteers who spend countless hours in the thankless job of keeping our financial books in order. Volunteers who schedule nursery workers and order Sunday school supplies and change furnace filters, all of which you benefit from. Volunteers who teach on Sunday mornings. Volunteers who serve as elders and leaders. The people in this room, they are the ones who serve you, have served you, and will serve you in ways too numerous to count. You belong to them. They belong to you. We all belong to each other. So, when you convinced yourself that you could just sit back and watch and let others do all the heavy lifting, that you were exempt from serving others to the same degree, what was it? What what convinced you of that? This being content to be a taker, a receiver, without also being a giver. How did you come to that conclusion? Maybe... Maybe I'm just too simple in my thinking, and maybe I'm old school, or maybe it has to do with the way I interpret certain principles in the New Testament. But if people here gave up a Saturday to help me move, then it seems that I should be willing to do my part and help others out in the same way when that need arises. I probably can't do it every time, but I should at least be inclined to help and try to make it work. If in the past, you know, you benefited from others watching your kids in the nursery, well... And fill in the blanks, pretty obvious. People grieved with you when you lost a loved one, came to the funeral and stood at your side. Do you do the same for them? Does it, does it, is there any sense of, of, of connectedness to those in that sense of love and obligation to one another? So the point here isn't to heap guilt, sounds like that, although maybe appropriate now and then. <laughs> I'm simply challenging, under this heading here, I'm simply challenging everyone to do some self-reflection. The issue is, do you see yourself, truly see yourself as belonging to all the other people here? And if so, is that actually being fleshed out in tangible ways? Those are just a few samples of what that might look like. It goes back to the question again of one's philosophy of church that we talked about last Sunday and how that philosophy, philosophy is translated into one's lifestyle. And these conditions some of our members have laid out, you know, I'll, I'll only serve if you meet my terms on this or that. And really? Really? What if everybody made their serving one another conditional? So again, look around. You belong to them. They belong to you. You are one with them in Christ. It's family. That's what God designed. No, no, I'm only here for the sermons. No, no, I'm only here because my family is here. You know, I'm here because I like your stand on abortion and same-sex marriages. I'm here because your songs have good content. They're not, they're not weird. I'm only here because I haven't found anything that I like better. You know, all those reasons would actually be fine if it weren't for Ephesians 4 and Romans 12 and First Corinthians 12 and Hebrews 10 and First Peter 4 and John 17 and Acts 2 and Galatians 6 and Colossians 3 and many more. Couples get engaged because they, they fall in love, they want to spend their lives together, but what they often don't consider in this arrangement is that they are also <laughs> marrying into the other person's family, right? <laughs> the parents, the siblings, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, all the cousins, and you know, when you say, I do, you are agreeing to the whole package, good and bad, and it's like that upon joining a church. You may have been attracted to it originally because of any number of things, but at the end of the day, you are one in spirit, family, with the whole bunch, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the weird. And we, we have it all here. We have it all here. So to speak candidly, <laughs> good thing I'm about ready to, uh, anyway, <laughs> speak candidly, when I first started attending here, <laughs> 24 years ago. This was a big hurdle for me. Um, I'm going to be transparent here. You know, there was a lot about this church that I liked. Um, Michael was the pastor at that time, not me, for those who who may not be aware. But, um, you know, I just wasn't sure about uh, the people, you know. (laughs) Many folks were agreeable, but I didn't really connect with that many, and I wasn't naturally drawn in. And, as some of you know, we had at that time a lot of folks coming here who lived in group homes, and the kind of people I really have not had much experience with and they only added to this challenge and some of those folks were indeed to speak candidly, quite a challenge. Some of you know you were there then, and um one of them continues to be, but anyway <laughs> I'm sorry that I didn't have that scripted that just that went out before I could catch and bring it back but i would I would. <laughs> I would, I would sometimes on a um, on a Sunday morning back then, look around at everyone, the whole book, the whole church, everybody in the church, and I would, I just ask myself, is this what I signed up for by coming here? Are these the people that I belong to? This is my spiritual family, and no doubt some looked at me and asked the same thing, you know. <laughs> but it, it took a while for me to warm up to it, and actually, I'm still working on it. So. <laughs> So looking back, the thing that really helped is I jumped in with both feet. As I look back on this, um, I I jumped in with both feet and offered to lead some home groups. And that really helped me to cement relationships. At one time, I led three different home groups, three different nights a week, and did this for several weeks. And it it just paid off in, in many different ways. But the point is, truly, I do understand this reluctance and desire to kind of, you know, hold back a little bit. For me, this whole business of the church being a family and relating to each other as such is something I wholeheartedly subscribe to objectively. I'm sold on the concept. I find all those scriptures convincing, and and I am all in. I have the vision for it. I've always had the vision for it. But subjectively, in actual experience, I've had to really push myself quite a bit. It takes no small degree of effort to convert what you believe philosophically into actual practice. And so for those who can relate, and I would assume that there are many, well, you can push yourself as well. There's no excuses for this. Everything I've been talking about today under this heading of application, all of us can push ourselves on it, right? Are you willing to do that? Can we just step it up and be what Ephesians 4 calls us to be? So let me wrap this up, um, and I'll do so with somewhat of a little crazy note here, but hopefully you'll get the point. Um, It seems to me, this is going to sound really weird, I know, but it seems to me that the, the brotherhood that one finds in something like a motorcycle gang better represents the unity and bonded togetherness that is called for in the New Testament than what we find in in most churches, and perhaps even in our own, um, you know, they take care of each other, they enjoy each other, they are driven to be with each other, and of course, they stand up and fight for each other. And and what unites them in this tight bond? Motorcycles, drugs, alcohol, violence, rebellion. You know, I mean, when I say motorcycle, I'm not talking about motorcycle clubs. I'm talking about motorcycle gangs like Hell's Angels. You know. <laughs> I mean their their unity is largely based on things of this present evil age, and their commitment to each other is actually, quite frankly, impressive. Now, this is based on what I've seen on TV. I don't have any personal experience <laughs> with any of this. But for the sake of the illustration, so what is the basis for our unity in comparison? You know, we have so much more to bind us together. So much more. One body. One spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. a lot of people here understand that, they get it and it's really rich, uh, but unfortunately not everyone, at least not yet. And so in the meantime, we will have to just encourage and admonish one another accordingly, right? All right, I'm gonna have Dave come at this time and close.
1: had an idea for you, Wendell. Um, if you really want people to pay attention well during the service, you could sneak up to them like you did me right before the sermon and say, I might have you close. And the people will be vigorously taking notes and coming up with profound statements. I mean, it's a genius idea. Um, so yeah, I, uh, was, there were so many thoughts that I had because of what he was saying. I just want to keep it simple down to one idea, and that is, That We tend to, it seems like, um, let uh, our own preconceived notions, because we're inherently selfish, and that's just how it is, and if you don't agree, you're wrong, because you are selfish, and I'm selfish, and we are uh, rubbing up against ideas and culture all the time, especially with how... just immersed in media, uh, a lot of us tend to be on a daily basis, and then the way the Bible informs us, say, about the idea of love, that's a great example in our culture that, uh, or faith, if you say it as a Christian, somebody else is probably going to mean something different by that, but the church that Wendell's been talking about last week and this week is the same thing, that even Christians typically do not have a very biblical understanding of what the church is, because they let the culture inform what they see and how they perceive church ought to be, and it's that's where I go to get stuff for me, and that's where I go to get fed, which is, of course, a part of the picture, but it's just a small part of the picture, or um, we go with what we're comfortable with. Um, So usually with Christians, it seems the last thing that informs us what we ought to think and believe about something is the Bible, which is nothing less than ironic, obviously. So I really appreciate your uh, encouragement. Um, It's very edifying. Um, I would think the sermons from last week and this week would be tools we could use for possibly best to to send to other Christians, but even some people that are considering the church and what that is. And if they're doing membership, what are they really signing up for and what what ought to be our thoughts on that, so it's good stuff. Please stand, I'm gonna read this um, passage that I really like from Romans 13. How we come back at quarter after we'll Quarter after, that is 10 minutes. We're gonna start the meeting in 10 minutes, okay? So yeah, with these words, oh my, it's in the way. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us, all of us, put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light and, as a church body, encourage each other to do so. So, yes, you're dismissed for a brief time, and then we'll see you soon.